Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The following podcast may contain discussions supported by science that may be considered dangerous to some listeners and conspiracy theorists. Discretion is advised. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Home delivery available in Regina at sassbeardelivery.ca. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. You are listening to the Internet's only College World Series podcast. I am Joel Gasson with John Fraser, as usual. Uh, we do have a, a few things to get to today, of course. Uh, the unfortunate news that it uh, looks like Dan Clark's going to be gone for a while. And, uh, That's what a that, big ouch. Big ouch, what that means to the team and uh, where they go from here. And that, uh, of course, we're going to talk about the game against Edmonton, sort of uh, what we liked and more so what we didn't like out of that performance. And, uh, yeah. We have an open letter to the CFL on TSN, as mm-hmm. I think um, some opinions are starting to boil over on a certain thing they continue to do mm-hmm. and did in great number in both number of times and number of, you know, overall time on a Saturday afternoon and into the evening. It's so bad. I hate it so much. It actually, I don't know if I'm going to end up getting angry because I have a way to tie it into what they should be doing, but the but angry me might come out. It's been a day, Joel. It has been a day. We... John lives in Saskatoon, of course. Uh, lots of rain up there. Uh, thinking of everyone who may have suffered some damage through that. And then uh, there was a, some kind of cop activity down the street from you. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a day yeah. for John. <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, uh, this is a – I didn't just mix myself a double vodka to uh, to hint to what's in the glass later. Uh, this is a quadruple. But, uh, yeah, yeah, This that's the kind of way – that's the kind of night it's been. But uh, we will get to that. Yeah. Um, I guess you could say you could maybe use a few jello shots. I, you know what? I love Jello shots. I am surprisingly good at like getting them out of the tiny little plastic cup without uh, without cutting the sides of my mouth, which I feel like is a talent, you know, of its own. But uh, yeah, I could I could go for a couple Jello shots, put a little provincial or lucky bastard in there, and just hand it to me tonight. That that, that I think that'd make for a good episode tonight. Yeah. So uh, this kind of been a story that's been compelling me all week, as you know. Uh... <laughs> We are fans of sort of the college sport experience, especially football. But for this year, this year, even though we have very limited access to up here in Canada, I think we've talked about this a bit on the podcast before. I've been really compelled by the world of college baseball this year. Oh, it's been so good. Like, I, we were talking about this. Remember, we were mm-hmm. talking about to beca- getting dangerously close to becoming a college baseball and Sergio Castillo podcast. And mm-hmm. I think this might drive us even closer towards that. Yeah, so apparently this is a thing. Because I guess I haven't paid super close attention to the College World Series and college baseball in general in the past. Um, there's a bar in Idaho where they hold the event currently every year. It's called Rocco's. I think it's like Rocco's Pizza or something. Um, where they have a board. They have a board on in the bar for jello shots. <laughs> every team that is at the College World Series that year, that's the Men's College World Series of Baseball, that's there every year, has their name on the board. And then there's how many shots this Jello shot challenge has been purchased by fans or 
relations or, you know, any if you consider yourself affiliated with that school in any sort of way. So this year, of course, Arkansas, Auburn, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, Texas, Texas A&M, and Stanford are all there on the board. Um, for a while, it wasn't close. No. It was them hogs, the Arkansas Razorbacks, that were running away with it for the longest time. And, uh, you know, giving them a good old whomping, as we like to say about Arkansas. And <laughs> then all of a sudden, you know, Mississippi would never let a, you know, they would never let a good time pass. I'm sure uh, Belton Johnson of the Green Zone would certainly agree as an Ole Miss grad. Mm-hmm. They've started marching down a comeback. This so, might be one of the biggest comebacks in sports history, too. Yeah, like Arkansas was that like so it's only about four days into this thing right now, and the last update we have on the board comes a few hours ago, as we record this on a Monday night. By the time it comes out, and by the comes comes out tomorrow morning, because as we speak right now, as we're recording this, the two leading schools, Arkansas and Ole Miss, and it's not even close after that, are currently playing each other. So I can only imagine after said game what is going to happen. So, and apparently before the game even started, uh, someone related to Ole Miss came in and bought 900 jello shots to try and, you know, sort of lower the gap a little bit. So right. it was, Arkansas was at 4,644, uh, Ole Miss 4,579. Uh, just for reference, you see how not even close it is. The third place was Texas A&M at 585. That's just some, like, brilliant marketing, for mm-hmm. one. For two... And then, actually, a little bit after that, someone from Arkansas came in and bought a 1,000 Jello shots just to regain their lead again. So I don't know what the total tally is at right now. Uh, but, yeah, at 450 each, this bar has brought in, like, 60 k in four days doing this. That's impressive. <laughs> like, whoever runs Rocco's, like, that's who the CFL needs to run their marketing department, is whoever came up with the Jello shot challenge. Um, I think the most impressive part, too, is, like, the spread... Uh, doesn't surprise me that Stanford is only at a hundred and some Jello shots. No, right? no, like no one, no one, no one's surprised about that one whatsoever. Right, like that doesn't seem like a good time in a box, but everything else does. And and like the more I'm exposed to it, the more you see the stupidity on one of my favorite social media accounts, John Boy, uh, <laughs> the Sickos Committee, another mm-hmm. one of my favorite. The more you see the like the absolute absurdity that is college baseball in the states, the more I'm like starting to love it like i almost feel like i have to find a team and start doing jello shots for them not not necessarily cheer for them <laughs> but just like an easy one to illegally stream up here in canada and i can just do jello shots for them and i will be their guy their jello shot guy yeah i, I haven't I always have vodka at my house yeah i haven't had much success finding a ton of links throughout the season i have found a website now where i've been able just to connect to espn which mm. kind of shows all the games from this point forward. So I was watching a little bit this afternoon because I had a day off. Uh, yeah, number two, Stanford actually went down to number 14, Auburn, in an elimination game. So uh, that, the was, jello shots. <clears throat> that was that was everything that happened. Yeah, I believe I saw a comment online about, uh, you know, the jello shot gods have come back to haunt Stanford in this one. It, so. It's true. <laughs> and, and, and now I can actually, you know, see, the thing I'd be worried about illegal streaming, though, is I just got my computer back up and running thanks to our IT guy, Garth. Uh, and it actually works now. Like, I, it wasn't a 10-minute ordeal to start it up and talk to you. It was like, oh, this only took 32 seconds. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of on a roll despite the shenanigans of today, despite, mm. you know, my street being flooded literally up to my knees at some points and then finding out. And this, again, if you're having an active police situation with potentially armed people, you might want to let the people on the street know. This happened on Louise Ave today. There's a house that, you know, you're sitting there, you're watching TV at night, you're seeing a few cars pull up to a pull away in pretty prompt fashion and kind of figure out what's going on. So I get a text from an old coworker of mine up the street. He's like, dude, what the hell's going on on Louise Ave? And I'm like upstairs with the kids and I look outside and there's a SWAT team, full tactical gear, assault rifles, dogs. I'm like, Hey guys, who wants to go play downstairs now? So, yeah, I really wish they would have communicated that. But uh, yeah, I think the Jello shot count, knowing my ability to hold liquor, love of vodka, and stress of seeing a flood followed by a standoff down the street that actually closed my street down, I think I I, I could be a solid contributor to somebody tonight. So, um, I almost need to like. Is there a way like you can play at home? Is this like Jeopardy where you get the home game if you don't do that well? Like, 
I, I, I kind of want to be a part of this. And, and, and I even have a new drinking buddy for when we podcast, too. So it, my setup now has been I've got the computer back. I got a new drinking buddy. Away we go. Yeah, so I guess long story short, one, uh, me, you, and Dan Plaster have to find a way to the College World Series one year, if not just to go to Rocco's. A hundred percent, yes. That, yep. yep, yep. Absolutely. It's not, it's, and it's not in a crazy expensive place either. It's no. what, Omaha? Yeah, it's in like Idaho or Omaha or something. Yeah, so I mean, it's not... Like, not a place people no. want to go. No, so I mean, it's it's certainly... The most difficult part would probably actually be just getting there. That's fair, because it's hard to get anywhere from Saskatoon or Regina. Mm-hmm. Oh, do we road trip? Do we grab plaster and road trip it? Maybe. I don't know how the long easiest. the drive would be, but... <laughs> oh, I have the computer back now, Joel. I am looking this up. Fair enough. And number two, um, a bar in Regina for the Grey Cup this year should totally... Maybe not necessarily do jello shots, but figure out something. To kind of ride, to kind of you know build on you know the CFL fan base and oh, you know put that, them all in within yes. competition with each other for for something. Yes. I don't know who, I don't know where, I don't know what. I'm not that smart, uh, but someone should come up with something. But I, That's all I'm saying. A K. I wonder if there'd be a way for our friends at Pile of Bones to capitalize on this. Close to the stadium, great beers. You know, you could have some sort of like, and to make it like more impressive, do like it, it's like. Uh, the old high when I used to play hockey, you, you, the, the team that ordered the most pitchers won a prize. Hmm. You could have the football team that's represented by most pitchers wins a prize, and then you're drinking really good beer, which gives you less of a hangover. And maybe it's a way to expose people to not suck. Potentially, I mean, it's possible. I'm now googling Charles Schwab Field in Omaha on Google Maps. <laughs> I mean, I can do that now. Computer's yeah. working. Again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's it's a whole new day for John. It is. Oh, it's not going to make me any smarter, but... Uh, I mean, nothing will at this point. It's on Mike <clears throat> Fahey Street. Okay. I don't know why work is listed as my home address, but... Yeah, it's only out. a 16-hour drive! Okay. That's only, like, 14 hours from your place. Like, that's not even that far. Like, I'm doing a 16-hour drive with three kids starting next Sunday. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, thanks, thanks. But I feel like, like... All we'd have to do is we'd we'd load up some some like shut down full casts and and jump into one of our vehicles and away we go. It's uh This suddenly seems feasible. Even at like two dollars a liter, this seems way more feasible than flying. <laughs> I mean nice. to Omaha, yeah. Maybe. Like my eye uh, like if you could see my eyes right now, they're as big as dinner plates with hope of this road trip now. I mean unless unless you could fly from like Minot to somewhere close. Oh maybe. right. Because it looks like we actually would. I like this new world where I have a computer again. Because <laughs> I feel like I can contribute finally. Like last week, I did not feel like I. I mean, you're so you're like a media personality that owns their own computer. <laughs> yeah, at least I have integrity, though. Yeah. Ooh. Well. Well. <laughs> that's, that's a stretch. Different. That's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> I haven't been banned by FIFA yet. Yeah. Yet. We can work on that though, if you want. Well, in, in fairness, after after reading about the fact that, like, the Qatar World Cup has basically said you'll go to jail for a one-night stand, I feel like I might get a little chirpy on the internet towards the World Cup here. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? No, I did not. I haven't really been paying much close attention, to be honest. It came all over my feed, and uh, I think somebody shared it in one of my group chats, that the government of Qatar has essentially said there's a sex ban because of you know their their hardline religiousness and their 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 iron-fisted regime in Qatar that if you're there and you got caught having a one-night stand or any kind of cardinal relations and you're not married that's 7 years in jail hmm. seems like a great place to have a place you know a thing that's known for drunken hookups yeah i had a friend who lived there for a bit teaching english and he yeah he's already moved on to somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> i can't i can't blame him okay so yeah. we could we, we do have to go through minot anyways Okay. Okay. Oh, it's like, goodness. Minot to Omaha is like 600 bucks. We're just, we're going to have to drive. That's it. We're packing up in, in and the smartest one would probably be in your Civic. So we're going to pack up in your Civic. Uh, I'm tiny, so I could even fit behind your seat uh, and not cause any issues. And there we go. Me, you, and Plaster. I, Dan Plaster doesn't know he's in, but he's in now. He'll, he'll be, I think if we asked, he would be in. There's no question about it. We've... Like with you, I've discussed much of my love for college baseball recently, and he's very much 
he's on the same wavelength as we are when it comes to this. So, which is why he makes a great replacement, John, and replacement Joel. Mm-hmm. Whether so there's going to be replacements or not coming up, we don't know. Um, for the Riders on Thursday, as they, of course, they are off to Montreal to open yes. the Alouettes' home schedule. Uh, they will be without Dan Clark. We don't know who's replacing him there just yet. We will get into that and much more, as always. But before that, for the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, uh, John, you teased it a bit, kind of gave away something else, but you do have another surprise in store. What is in the ball this week? <laughs> in the ball. So one of the best Father's Day presents I think I've ever received. Uh, Lacey at a yard sale found a golfer's ice pail. This thing looks like it's from 1970. Uh, I will tweet out a photo of it after the episode. I've shown it to you, shown it to a few friends, but like, this thing keeps ice real cold. I'm not, I'm not gonna like. I can feel coldness come from when I open it. So, uh, in the glass is my usual vodka, pink lemonade. Um, not the stuff from the site we don't speak about, but just mm-hmm. the stuff I make myself because it's tasty and delicious. Uh, and I've been slowly filling it up with ice, which has made it burn less and less as it goes it goes down because that one was uh, was definitely strong. And it is provincial <laughs> vodka again which means I can't taste it. But I did want to give a special shout-out. Yesterday, I was in Lloyd Minster watching my nephew Noah uh, play football for the Colts. He's an O-lineman. So, of course, you know, much appreciation here. You know, my nephew's a lineman because we love the linemen here. Yeah. If only he'd play full. Like, he's if, built If he like played fullback. fullback, then, yeah, we'd, we'd have to, like, live stream the game or something. Uh, I think so because I they want him to play some fullback, which is awesome <laughs> for him. But... Uh, I did grab, uh, because, you know, you're in kind of Sask, Alberta, grab some wave pool. Um, oh, that stuff's always so good. I, I can never find it here in Saskatchewan, but it's always so good. But, uh, yeah, so if you hear a rattling throughout the episode, it's because from now on I will be recording with my ice pail buddy uh, at my desk. Never mind stats. The most important thing is the ice pail buddy. Where you keep your cold takes. Wow. They start off scolding hot. They just cool down quickly. Uh, For me, I have from a multinational here in Regina, their co-beer of the year in uh, 2021, uh, Season of the Witch. It's uh, basically kind of a nice dry New England style IPA. So uh, always delicious kind of, I mean, multinationals, New England IPAs are just always very good. I've yet to have one of those from them that I did not like. So, uh, if you ever see New England IPA on the shelf for Multinational, I would certainly recommend it. Most of the stuff from Multinational in general I'd recommend, but I would say if they had a specialty, it would have to be uh, the New England IPA, and this uh, label is kind of cool, too. It's kind of got some little dark to it, a little dark. Sort I, of I, I, do, I do enjoy a good label. I've started learning a love for good label from the local guys, So, mm-hmm. uh, and it's funny, and now that I, I'm like, trying to think off the top of my head, I don't know if I've ever tried anything by Multi. Really? I don't think so. Like, I keep hearing it's so good. It's just, I, I, I'm like, you know, kid in the candy store. I see, oh, I know Nokomis is good. I know a pile of bones is great. I know Rebellion's good. And I always just kind of, you know, lean towards those or Blackbridge with their dad joke cans. So I think the next time I go, I think I got to get myself some multi. Absolutely. If, if not, next time you're down here, uh, we'll, we'll make sure there's some multinational around. Ooh, that sounds like a fantastic idea because there is actually going to be a date which I am down there and not just driving through in my... Minivan with three kids for a 16-hour drive. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, not that at all. Uh, it's a little more than 16 hours to get to Montreal from here, but uh, the riders will make that trip by plane. By plane, thankfully for that. Yes, yep, uh, yep. Except for maybe the equipment truck they might have to drive. But they are on the way to Montreal on Thursday where they will start the Alouette season. And unfortunately for the team, uh, they will now be without for the foreseeable future, and I would assume at least the rest of this year, uh, center Dan Clark. Yeah. It was late in the game, uh, kind of not quite garbage time, but pretty much on the edge of garbage time uh, on Saturday night when Dan Clark went down. I mean, he got hurt a little early in the game, but as mm-hmm. usual, he kind of got up. Um, but at that moment in the game when he went down, it looked like he kind of got rolled on a bit, and he didn't get up. No. And at that moment in time, you're like, if Dan Clark's not getting up, this, this isn't good. I mean, the guy literally rebounded from being thrown out of a car. So, I mean, this guy is clearly as tough as nails, and it takes a lot to keep him down. And when you see the cart coming up for Dan Clark, that's when you're like, oh, shit. That's when you really start to feel bad for the guy. And just, 
a huge loss for this team, I think, in, in many ways. Like, this is obvi- obvious. There's obviously, number one, losing your starting center is never good, especially mm-hmm. when he is currently probably your best offensive lineman. But also, number two, just the morale. You saw, like, guys get injured all the time, and lots of teammates come over usually to kind of, you know, give them a fist bump or, you know, say, hey, hang in there. You're going to do, you know, you're going to be fine. You're going to be back, something like that. But, like, literally the entire team came to console Dan Clark in that moment. Yeah. And you don't always see, like, literally every single player coming to the guy in the cart. And that speaks a lot to the character and the presence of Dan Clark in the room. And that's going to be a big loss, too. Huge loss. Uh, and, I mean, it's <laughs> you said it right there. This is an offensive line that has been better this year uh, than they were last year. And Dan Clark is by far their best offensive lineman, their most consistent guy. And yeah, out a long time. He confirmed uh, in a rare, in a rare occurrence for it seems this podcast. He occurred. He announced his injury before we recorded, rather than like minutes after we were done. Uh, broke his fibula, shifted his ankle bone, had surgery on Sunday afternoon. So that, especially playing a line that doesn't sound like a guy that will be back this season. I mean. If anybody's going to be back this year from that, it will be Dan Clark. I mean, there's still a lot of weeks to go before the postseason, but mm. you said it, Joel. You could tell this guy is a love guy. You talk to anybody, you interview anybody about Dan Clark, they just they love the guy. He's he's a the glue guy in that room, and as you said, probably their best offensive lineman. So now, if I'm the Riders, though, I am going down to a farm in Weyburn with a suitcase full of money. And a brand new pickup truck and saying, please come back, Brendan Labatt. Assuming I, you I, can find a new pickup truck somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I think you'd appreciate I thought you'd appreciate that one. <laughs> I, I, I do, because you can't, you can't find it. Dodge still is inventory somehow, <laughs> so I don't know through all of this. We're sold out, like, literally a year wait for a new Tundra. My quarter-ton truck, my Tacoma, is over a year wait. So, that's, you know what? I feel like Craig Reynolds could could pull some strings and find maybe like a slightly like slightly new truck like that just gets returned to the dealer some rider fan has to give it their truck to give it to brendan labatt to try to coax him to come back because i mean we we remember the thing with weston dressler when he was released by kc and all the thing i'm sure there would be a fan out there that would give up their truck for brendan labatt to come back certainly there would be (laughs) i mean there's probably be somebody in weyburn who would drive him back and forth for practice if they weren't busy farming right so I, to me, I don't see another solution. There's not, there's nobody else on this roster that I think can bring anything close to the quality that Dan Clark brings, and, and from leadership and character and, and being well liked and his football IQ. Like the only guy I see that's out there who isn't technically retired is Brendan Labatt, and maybe this is one of those offers that you leave a suitcase full of money on his front porch and say. We'll put your we'll put pen to paper here in about three four weeks. Take some time to get yourself ready. Like I just, I don't know. I I think by this point, like that conversation has to have happened because Dan Clark is such a massive hole in this lineup. I mean, I don't know where I feel. Like I would be surprised, to be honest. I mean, I'm sure that maybe a phone call or a text or some there was probably some Jeremy O'Day, Craig Dickinson, someone to some degree probably reached out to him. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Right. Whether he, you know, is, would actually seriously consider it or not at this point, I honestly don't know. Um, it's it's if if there was any sign of him coming back, you think you would have maybe heard of something by now, even before the injury. So I really would be surprised. And I mean, they're just they're gonna. I think they're just gonna have to try and find a solution internally. I mean, unless a guy like I know the internet's kind of having you know their discussion right now about maybe hoping Brett Jones gets cut from somewhere in the NFL. Right, and you know maybe he suddenly becomes available, and that's an option, a road you can go down. But I mean, you're you might just have to hope that someone internally can do it, and that might require some shuffling. You know, maybe one of the young guys can step up. I don't know, but they're gonna have to figure something out because yeah, the offensive line has been better. They struggled a bit against Edmonton, but I mean, to their you know defense, Chris Jones still knows how to dial up a pass rush, so oh, he deserves, absolutely, deserves some credit for that a little bit at least, and. This is going to be a tough one to overcome, but I guess the silver lining is they have 16 games to figure it out. Right. Like This this, is this, not... this didn't happen, you know, the first week of October. No. 
this this you don't want this to happen, especially to a guy like Dan Clark. Yeah. But the timing of it's pretty good. I mean, the only better time. The only is, better time would be like the third day of camp. Exactly. <laughs> when you have to, when you have time to figure it out, maybe go out and sign somebody. But I I I don't know if you're going to see. I don't know if you'd see Brett Jones. I I'd be shocked. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, so would I. I'm just bringing him up because that's who some fans online are right, the trying internet, to suggest right. maybe could become available at some point. I would be surprised. If had you know he would explore every single NFL opportunity and it might be too late by then by the time all those ran out so but but even even at that if he explores every single NFL opportunity I think he's got enough games to have his NFL pension so he could probably just you know put his feet up and not risk his body because he's made it out largely injury free so um to me yeah I'm just like that's the thing with the CFL is basically you go to war with who you've got right mm-hmm. you're not going to make an in season trade for a Canadian offensive lineman. Like, it's just, it's no, just not, not, not especially not heading into week three. No, exactly. Like there's nobody, up, out there you know, that... up again, you know, later closer toward the end of the, you know, the deadline, you know, maybe, maybe you can coax, maybe not like a guy who's going to transform your team overnight, but maybe you can get some depth out of Edmonton or something for a seventh round pick or something. Right. But right. Exactly. That's about the best you're going to do. And that's not for going to be for a number of weeks still, essentially. Right, and and therein lies the problem. That that I don't have enough faith in what I've seen in the ability to develop some of these guys behind the offensive line, some of the backups to, to think that this is going to be anything but a, a disaster. That's why I think you bring back Labatt for that veteran presence, that glue guy. Like he's another guy. You know, you and I can tell from from our years covering the team that. He's a well like well respected guy with a high football IQ in the mold of Dan Clark. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying him and Dan Clark are interchangeable, especially not after a year off. But no. you know, all of a sudden, maybe you bring Labatt back to play, you know, right or left guard, and you're just taking that little bit of pressure off of that that young guy that's all of a sudden now going to be the guy under center. And maybe you well, bring I mean, him. A... Brennan switched to center in the past, and Dan Clark got injured, so. He did, but I know Labatt also signed with a clause in his contract that said he was not to be used as a full-time center. Hmm. It is not his favorite position. And I can tell you with very, like, that is, like, first-hand information uh, that Labatt does not like playing center. No, I, I've, I've heard that before, that he doesn't like doing it, for sure, yeah. That was, right. that was a pretty so that's big why reason why he left Winnipeg, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was a huge reason why he was assured that in his contract from Saskatchewan when he eventually signed here. So that's why I'm thinking you're, you know... It's easy, like, he's got the IQ, he's got the ability, it's just something he's not comfortable with, something he doesn't like doing, and something he fears injuring himself. I I think it came down to, he doesn't like the fact he has to snap the ball, then get in a defensive position basically instantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that he can't, it's just something he's not comfortable with doing as he fears it could injure himself, right? Yeah, which, I mean, it's fair, it's entirely fair. He's not wrong. (laughs) Right? So, So, I think... You know, you bring in a Labatt to kind of energize the room. You bring him in to to play guard. You bring him in to to teach the guy that he's going to be either on his right or left to to you know to recognize blitzes to do things like that, right? So uh, that's why I think you, you bring a guy like him in, and that's why I think you have to seriously have that conversation. And you know, if you're Labatt, you know that's that's one way to maybe. You weren't really thinking about coming back this year because from all accounts, he really wasn't. But now, like I said, you can come in, play a shortened season, probably get paid a you know and a shitload of money in CFL terms to come in and, and be the hero for a year. You'd think that's got to be pretty appealing to a local guy because even if they come in and tell them, okay, we're going to stash you on the one game until you feel like you're ready, that's paycheck, 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 right? So I, I, I think that call has to be made, and I think they'll regret it if they don't push hard because – they just they need some veteran presence on that line. Yeah, and I think one way that you know we'll find out soon how big of a difference this makes will be, of course, the production in the run game. We saw yeah. we saw it against Edmonton. Uh, maybe not as consistently as we would have liked. There were some times where they kind of got away from it and it hurt them a bit. But well, that's Jason Moss for you, though. Yeah, but for the most part, by Jason by Jason Moss's standards, I would say they stuck to the run pretty good against Edmonton, and it worked because it was very clear early on in that football game, and we're going to switch into the game now, obviously. Um, And this is the part that I liked about the game, what I saw from the team was, you know, last week against Hamilton, they essentially did not run the football. This week, they got some traction on that very early, and then, for the most part, at least by Jason Moss standards, stuck with it, and Jamal Morrow had a big game busting out for 126 yards. He added a few more through the air. 
was probably the team's best player all around. And that effectively won them the football game because I think it slowed it down at times where they were making too many mistakes that kind of kept Edmonton in it. And it sort of wore down Edmonton enough to make sure that, you know, despite the errors that they made that we will talk about in a bit that kept Edmonton in the game, they were able to wear them down enough to make sure that they could take the shots late to secure the win. Right. Absolutely. Um, It's just, it's, it's frustrating and it just, it boggles my mind that, Jason Moss being the offensive guru he allegedly is, you're running the ball really well, mm-hmm. consistently. I mean, like, 17, 17 carries for 126. Like, that's a pretty good yards per carry average. And you just, well, especially you early from... on, his, his yards per carry were, like, extremely high. And then well, yeah. they, they, it goes away for a few drives, and then it comes back. And, you know, Belton Johnson screaming online to stick with the run, and obviously, because... I think it's clear when a team cannot stop your run, you keep running until they prove that they can stop you. Well, that's it. And 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 the second nine times out of ten, the way they prove on stopping you is by moving everybody just that little bit closer to the line, which then opens things up for Cody Fajardo. Now, again, he didn't have Duke Williams, and he's a completely different guy without Duke there. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I mean, even Hickson, thirty-two yards on on five carries, like it it, it was working for them, and it's just it, it's mind boggling that they just keep going away from it for such long stretches it's 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 almost like they're playing like they're down and i get it part of this was maybe they came into the game thinking we need to get cody into some sort of rhythm even without duke because again that's going to be essential to this football team's success this year but if it's if it's working like just just keep rolling with it like edmonton is not a great football team and we all know that but you let them hang around because you you abandon the run uh, you let Cody keep throwing it, throwing it, and throwing it, and then you did a whole bunch of dumb things. So... Yeah, and I think this is sort of the main plot for, that came from this game. Now, as you know, as good as they ran the football, and as well as the defense played at times, you know, as I put in the piece after the game, it was essentially a masterclass on how to keep a team that you yes. should beat fairly handily into a game. Now, by be, I mean fairly handily. I mean they probably should have won that game, maybe by fourteen. 20 points like I'm not saying they should have been lost by like 50 like again like they did the week before that would be you know unrealistic as bad as Edmonton is these are still professional football players who have some pride you would expect them that they were going to play better but that you know it was sort of a backdoor cover that didn't have to be if they were smarter you know and not only in the play calling but also in terms of some of their decision making in the moment on the field i.e. you know 14 penalties for 184 yards or whatever it was is something that um, is a big problem, and it's something we've talked about a lot in the past. It was a big problem all last year, yep. and now it's bad. You know, they're they fine against Hamilton. There wasn't really any sort of anything that really stood out too badly there in terms of penalties. But even outside of like the pure number of penalties, which are obviously a problem, part of that was just Al Bradbury being Al Bradbury. But the right. other part of it is, you know, there was a lot of bad timing on the penalties. Like the first drive of the game gets stalled out because of penalties. Took a few points off the board, probably. They did a couple other times where, you know, they just, you know, lost out on at least field goals here or there that could have made that a more comfortable football game because they just kept taking a bad penalty at the wrong time, which is often far worse than just pure volume of penalties. And that's kind of more what I had the problem with. And so it was a conversation all last year, and now it's back after this game. And I know it's... (sighs) I know rosters are small. There's only so much you can do in the CFL, but I mean, Craig Dickinson just has to find a way to get that message through to his team this year because they just, they, you can't have that happen. No, especially what Derek Moncrief did, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, you said it best. It's Al Bradbury at his finest in that game. And I will forever love your line that Al Bradbury is the referee that we, that a lot of fans think Andre Pru is. <laughs> I tweet because... that at least once a year and it just always blows up. But I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to keep saying it until proven otherwise. So. <laughs> exactly. Prue was a great ref. Like, he's a very good ref. I, th- I think very- I think more people are starting to recognize that too now. There's a lot, I think there's a lot more support now there for Andre Prue than there used to be. That's fair. Um, But like Derek Moncrief, like that game, to get ejected in a game that wasn't testy. Like I can, I can almost understand if you got a guy. Like I wouldn't have have, have batted an eye if somebody got ejected for going after Simone Lawrence one too many times against Hamilton. But that game just felt 
flat. It didn't feel like there was nothing there was... like overly egregious happening that you would think no. would cause this to happen. Right. And yeah. and that is the ultimate boneheaded play, especially as you mentioned, because the rosters are so so small in the CFL to get ejected at a nothing kind of time. And yeah, okay, you can blame Al Bradbury, but don't put yourself in that position. Like there was no brawl that broke out. There was no late hit that you were standing up for somebody else. It was just dumb to use one of our favorite terms. Like it was just a dumb penalty to take and to get yourself tossed out because of the two misconduct rule. Right. So yeah, this game to me, although the Riders won and are 2-0, and kind of showed everything that you and I talked about being concerned about. Mm-hmm. You know, they were very vanilla. Uh, Cody was good, but not great. The line was okay. Uh, Moss abandoning a successful run game and then just dumbass penalties. Like, it was just, it, it was one of those games that you go, okay, this is the team at its bad and let's hope that this is what they can work out because as as gushing as we were after the first game mostly about the defense like there was just Mm. like watching this thing on pvr like i was falling asleep watching this thing like it was just didn't look like anybody on either side really wanted to play that bad until edmund until they gave edmonton a couple sparks late in the fourth quarter yeah, and I mean, that's you know always a concern. And I think we've seen it from this group before where they go into a game, you know, after a good game and especially up against an opponent what they should probably beat fairly easily. And this, this tends to happen to them. And I, I don't know the explanation for it. I, I know people can, you know, like to lay that at the feet of the coaching staff, but I think sometimes players got to look in the mirror too and, you know, kind of figure that out for themselves as well because, yes, part of the coach's job is preparedness and, you know, you know, having the guys prepared and mentally prepared and getting up for games and all that kind of stuff. But it's also sort of an internal thing that you have to figure out yourself as well. Right. Yeah. So there's only You're the coach, the coaching staff, professional athletes. Yeah. The coaching staff can give you the greatest pregame speech in the world. This isn't necessarily going to do anything for you. Quite frankly, they probably told them all week not to underestimate these guys and be ready and this and that and the other thing. And it still didn't materialize. And yeah, so, you know, bad games happen. So we'll have to see sort of where this progresses but it is certainly sort of a canary in the coal mine, so to speak. You know, the the canary is not dead yet, but, you it's know. It's squawking. It's squawking. It's starting to be like, hey, there's something going on down here. Maybe we should pay attention to it. And it'll be up to, now it's up to the coaching staff and the players internally to make sure that they clear the air out of there. Well, this is a veteran group. Mm-hmm. Like, this is largely a veteran group. And, like, to see these penalty numbers come up, like, I, again, you would expect that out of some of the younger guys, you know, coming in and, and maybe being hot. But, like, Derek Moncrief has NFL experience, right? Like, you look at these guys that are committing some of these fouls and keeping teams in it. Like, you've been around long enough to know. And I, you're right. I think it's time that they take a deep look inside. And much like the Dan Clark injury, I think it's I think it's good when teams – you know, bleed their own blood a little bit to take one of my favorite lines from dodgeball um, that nobody makes them bleed their own blood. It's good that they kind of have a stinker early on. And, 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 and again, I, I, I don't entirely disagree, but I think sometimes winning tends to take the sting out of that a little bit. Sometimes when you do screw up so bad that you, right. you know, make a game of it, it almost helps if you actually lose to right. get the point through sometimes. No, I, I agree with you, and and I feel like I feel like this game in Montreal is set up. If they play like they did in Edmonton last week, this game in Montreal has has not only trap game written all over it, but it's got yeah, like I, I think you're taking an L, like like Montreal, they're going to have Mont- a bunch Mont- of fans. I mean, Montreal's a tough spot for has always been a tough spot historically. Oh for yeah, them. so yeah, I, I would not play. be surprised. Yeah, even even the, the Montreal's a tough spot to play when the Montreal's been a bad football team, and Montreal's been a decent football team the last couple of years. So, and, and plus you got ownership coming out saying, yeah, everybody come on out. I'll give a hundred tickets to, to minor football fans. I'll, I'll get, I'll give, you know, ticket deals. And this is a Montreal team that their two losses are by a combined four points and will want nothing more than to write the ship. So to say against Saskatchewan in a building, that's always been tough for the writers to play in. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Montreal ownership and, I'd say there's a probably a pretty good probability that uh, we may hear from one Gary Stern, given the way 
given the way he's kind of been fun on Twitter to start this right. year. Right. I, I feel like it. there's a pretty good probability that we're going to hear from him at some point during the broadcast. And <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, he's probably already had his in-game interview, but given his greater profile now, it's there might be another one coming. Just not in-game. Like, that's... So, that's yes, bad. as of course you, as everyone knows, on Saturday, the CFL on TSN was, of course, the Hall of Fame game, which I understood to a degree. And for the most part, I will say, during the Hall of Fame game earlier in the day, I know you're golfing, so you probably didn't see it. Um, I shot a 38. Shot my best nine holes ever, by the way. Yeah. And so what happened during that game, they had, like, Hank was, I think, really the only in-game one, and I was late in the game, and Hank can be a color analyst, so I'm not too concerned about him being in the booth. Exactly. They all, did that one right. Yeah, all the others were kind of short, quick hits, and they... The entire pregame show was just talking to half the class because there was two classes going in, so it was 13 guys they had to roll through. Well, some of them weren't there for obvious reasons. But they had, you know, a number of people to roll through to talk right. about this. And a number of them were during pregame, which was great. I'm glad they used the pregame to talk to a bunch of them. And then... Perfect, perfect time for it, yeah. right? I mean, the pregame is 90% the same shit we see every week anyways. Yeah. And otherwise, it was mostly Shinetti on the sideline, a quick hit. You missed maybe one play, and then they were back at the game. Exactly. And then the Riders Elks game came around. Oh God! So I believe bad. it was in the second quarter. Victor Kui came on. Uh, I think so. Yeah, because I yeah. saw him come on, and I extra fast forwarded because yeah, like like you said, I was golfing that afternoon, and uh, I with my curling buddies, and I watched the game on PVR once I got home. And it wasn't like my one of one of your favorite things where I get a little drunk and watch the game. I was like, <laughs> literally, it was 32 degrees outside. I was sitting there with like a jug of water and bio steel watching mm -hmm. this game going, okay, I need to make mental notes to, to do the pod uh, coming up in a couple days. So, but yeah, I think it was second quarter he came on. And yes, we all want to hear from Victor Kui. Do fantastic job in Edmonton. We've Excellent. we've su we've yeah. sung his praises on this podcast, and we'll continue as long as he continues to do a good job. Mm -hmm. But he was on <laughs> with friend of the show Dustin Nielsen and Glenn Suter for an exorbitant amount of time. I believe it was over it was ten long. minutes. Like it was, it was excruciatingly long. long. There was even yeah. a point where it kind of sounded like Vic Quee made a sort of a quip, kind of hinting that he didn't even really want to be there anymore. Um, and right. this is a guy who wants to do media, who wants to be out there, who wants to get the message out. And he was so like, essentially like, okay, guys, let's, let's get on with this. And it was long. It took, you know, it's like one of the best plays of the game happened in that moment. And that was before he got kicked out the Derek Moncrief interception. That was incredible yep. because yep. without fail, anytime they have someone on for an extended period of time, something incredible happens. And we basically, the moment gets taken from it because we don't get you know, the experience of the game, the sounds of the game, the calls of the game in the moment, instead we get whoever they're talking to. Right, right. And then all of a sudden, it's funny, you watch it again on, on TSN, you're expecting, you know, it, there's nothing better than a highlight paired with an iconic call, a great call. Um, I, like, I just, as a play-by-play -play guy, I couldn't imagine being forced to interview somebody while trying to focus on the game. Like, I just, I, I, I just couldn't do it. And... I know you've probably got somebody in your, okay, keep going, keep going. We want to hear this. We want to hear that. But, like, just shut up and let me call the game. And that's one thing. Yeah. Like, to be like, clear, I don't blame the on-air talent for what's going on here. No, oh, no. I'm not no. throwing them under the bus at all because you know somebody in the truck is telling them. Like, I just, I could only imagine. My eyes would roll back so hard in my skull if you were to tell me I had to do an in-game interview while I'm trying to call a game. It would create a singularity that would kill us all. Mm -hmm. And And maybe... Maybe this is one of those scenarios where Twitter isn't real life and people are at least neutral on this. I don't know. But from my experience and what I see online, it seems not just us media folk and people of us, you know, our ilk who enjoy, you know, this, the media side of things and how right. media works. A lot of just regular fans don't seem to like this very much either. No. And it's, so it makes me wonder, like, why, are, why is this still happening? It doesn't happen in any other sport. No, TSN, I mean, occasionally during a hockey game, I've seen in the past they have guys on, but not for that long. But hockey, you have an organic place to, to talk about it because you have, to me, I know you have more stoppages in football. You have a stoppage after every play, but it's so quick and snappy and, and, and 
you don't know if a team's going to run up the line. You don't know what's going to happen. That's one of the difficulties of doing football play-by-play is getting your cadence in and getting the information out while responding to how quickly the team's moving to the line. Hockey, you can kind of tell what's going on. You know, teams aren't really messing with pace, right? Hockey, Fair. Yep. It, it fits a little bit, right? And you, hockey, you have time when teams are in the neutral zone. Like, I've seen in-game hockey interviews where the interviewee knows to shut up when they set up in the offensive zone, right? They let the play-by-play guy do his thing, and then, okay, that one's dumped out. So, you were saying, right? Like, And you've seen it in hockey. Football, you don't have that. Football, every play can be something, and nothing play can turn into something, and it's the beauty of calling football that you never know what you're going to get, and there's never that lull time. You're never just saying they dumped it in 17 different ways. That's the beauty of the sport and the beauty of calling that sport and why I love calling the sport and it's what makes it terrible, like, that you have these terrible in-game interviews. And like you said, Victor Kui saying, making a tongue-in-cheek comment that, that he didn't want to be on air anymore. You go to Max Kerman of the Arkells during the Grey Cup, which I've watched about 17 times over, because A, one of my favorite bands, B, the Bombers won. Him literally saying, hey, hang on, I want to watch this play. Like, it's just, it, it's not a sport that's set up for it, and I don't, I don't understand why they keep doing it and why they think it's a good idea. Like you're, I get it. Maybe you're trying to get people engaged, but it's not working. It's a terrible no. idea. It's an awful idea. And it, 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 it takes, it takes away from the interview and it takes away from the game and you're essentially co- accomplishing nothing. Right. Exactly. You're doing two things badly. Neither of them, like the interview might be great, but you're still going to be mad because you missed the play. Uh-huh. And I mean, at least now they, at least it's not as bad as the Keith Urban interview. That to me still st- stands out as the worst, right? What does Keith Urban know about Canadian football? Yeah, somebody wrote him a check and said it's a party. Yeah, and Keith Urban put on a good show. I'll give him credit for that. But yep. hey, hey, so you're gonna go put on a show, uh, cash your check, and now you got to go up into the booth and like, I don't know if some egghead at TSN thinks it's bringing a younger audience because it's 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 not. It's just it's brutal. It's terrible, and it needs to absolutely stop. I remember last season. Uh, one of the higher ups at TSN actually tweeted at me after I complained about the one oh, God, against BC such last a year. Just fucking response. Yeah, I'll never and, forget that. You know, I'm not gonna out who said it, but it was definitely to me. It was a moment that I was like, okay, this explains a lot about the CFL on yes. TSN. If you know any sort of constructive criticism is taken in this fashion, it just says it, a lot about sort of what's going on with TSN and why essentially nothing's changed in 20 years on the CFL on TSN. Well, and that is exactly it, Joel, because, again, I don't think outside of maybe occasionally in this podcast when I'm, you know, a few drinks in and a little fired up, that I don't think you and I are unnecessarily harsh on anybody. We're not the guys that have a scheduled rant. We're not the guys that need to find a whipping boy that's not Sam Hurl. We're not the guys that need to go out and, and be pissed off every week. And even I feel like on social media, we're the same thing where our criticism comes from a place of we like your product. Hey, you know, I and this is probably going to sound arrogant, but like, Hey, I'm in the business. I watch a shitload of football. I don't think this works. It's not in a way that's like that, that other podcasters in, have done that. It's like, Hey, F you, F you, F you, F you, you're all terrible. Right. It's more of a like, Hey, I don't like this. People I talk to don't like this either. So maybe you should improve. But like, I'll never forget that, that saying that, 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 Daring to compare that that response, and it's got me angry now that I think of it. <laughs> daring to compare the CFL panel to the best panels in sports, like right up there with the NBA on TNT. Like, come on! Like, you're nowhere near. You couldn't sniff Charles Barkley's sock. You're not even in the range of anywhere near to having a good panel. You're not. And it looks even worse now that the NHL on TNT comes out, and they're awesome. And even Hockey Night in Canada goes out and gets Jen Botterill and Kevin Bieksa, and they're much less terrible, minus Ron McLean's word salad to come in and out of every single break. Like, you're right. It starts. At, it always starts at the top. Shit always flows downhill. And and and, and I'm I'm upset that you almost reminded me of all this because <laughs> of the arrogance that was there. Because I thought this was like. Hey, maybe they'll finally listen. No, they're so far, their heads are so far up their own asses that they're not going to do anything about it because they think they're great. Yeah, <sighs> that 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 pretty much summed up most of my thoughts. 
at the time and continue to essentially form from that. Because the simple solution is, yes, we all want to hear from Victor Kui, and Victor Kui should be a big deal because, as I said in my piece on 3Down, I believe he can be a great agent for change for this entire league, but we don't need most of the halftime to be the panel. Do a panel segment and then come back from break and then have this great segment with him in this big pre-produced piece with really compelling questions and answers and footage and the whole thing, and then you make that the moment of halftime. It's not hard. But even if you wanted to do it on a women halftime, Mm-hmm. Let's face it, those sidelines reporters that the CFL and TSN have are among the best in sports. Yes. I mean, Shinetti's awesome. Claire's awesome. Sarah Orleski's a freaking like Winnipeg legend by this point, right? Like, and Farhan Lalji. Like, you have four, I would argue the CFL on TSN has better sideline reporters than what the NFL does. That just spout cliche, cliche, cliche. I talked to Coach about cliche, right? I think it'd be a great time to show off their talents. Here's, yeah. here's, I mean, that would be, Matt. anything's better than talking to them in the middle of the game. Absolutely. And it's not like you're trying, like, I could get it if you're trying to shelter maybe a young broadcaster or something. You don't want to put them in that spot. Like, yeah, go back to the stadium for five minutes. Talk to your interview subject. We don't want it during the game. Nobody wants that. And you're taking away from your own product. You're making it harder on your own producers because now they want to cut compelling highlight packs. And what if the play of the year happens while Victor Kui is talking about, you know, season ticket renewals? Because we all know that's going to happen. Like, I, I, stop it. Stop it, please. I feel like I'm talking to my children when I'm talking to this. <laughs> and uh, one thing we can promise um... – <sighs> None of these people are likely to ever appear on this podcast. <laughs> that's uh, that's fair, but I have been surprised before by who listens to this damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.